Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Avery, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, coming to you today just before the holidays and the new year at the tail end of 2020. You won't hear this until March 2021, though, because the paper that we're going to be discussing is being released in that issue of the journal. It's titled, Entrustment Decisions and the Clinical Team a case study of early clinical students. And I'll be speaking with the first author on that work, Severin Pania, who's an attending physician at the University Hospital for Old Age Psychiatry and Psychotherapy at the University of Bern, and also is an affiliated researcher at the Institute for Medical Education at the same institution. Severin, thank you very much. I know you're going on holiday the moment this conversation is over, so I'm very thankful that you were able to make some time to chat. Thank you very much for the invitation, Kevin, and for getting up so early for doing the interview. It's my pleasure. The paper is something that I was eager to talk with you about because it puts a, a unique spin on not only supervision, but the notion of entrustment decisions, to issues that have become fairly central in the conversations going on in health professional education at the moment. But before we get into those uniquenesses, I should probably ask you to clarify for those who aren't familiar with the concept, what is it that you're referring to when you talk about entrustment decisions and how does that play into assessment or supervision in your context? Yeah, so when we started doing this study, we were faced with the introduction of a new competency-based framework called Profiles in Switzerland that used entrustable professional activities for the first time for the clinical training of medical students. And uh, it was introduced in 2019 at our institution. And then we had to, to find out actually how we're going to translate the idea of entrustment and entrustable professional activities to the clerkship rotations at our institution. When people talk about entrustment decisions, sometimes they refer to different ideas because there is this idea of summative entrustment decisions that you basically entrust the trainee at the end of, of medical school or at the end of residency training versus those entrustment decisions that happen on a daily basis when you supervise trainees and then you have to make instant and ad hoc entrustment decisions whether you let a student see a patient independently and alone or whether you have to be at the side with the student or whether you only let them what you're doing clinical activity. So these are the different levels that you have to distinguish when you talk about entrustment of trainees, I think. And that alone is, again, a very sensible distinction, the final decision versus the ongoing judgments. But again, it's not a distinction that I've heard raised in the context of entrustment as a specific concept, but even more unique, I think, if that is a sensible phrase, is that most papers on supervision, they really talk about the supervisor, you know, the one clinical preceptor who has a sort of final say over what a student might be allowed to do or not. It sounds as though in your context, supervisory activity is more of a team activity. Am I inferring that correctly? So we didn't know that really when we started doing the study, because when we looked into the literature and tried to find what was out there on how these entrustment decisions can be put into life in a clinical training context, we found different models. And there is emerging research on how these entrustment decisions happen and emerge, mostly in the graduate medical education context. 
And there it's in the model that we discussed most in our context, which was published by Holzhausen and others in 2017, there is the intention to entrust a trainee at the center. And then the supervisor, as you said, defines the degree of supervision. And then the activity leads to some sort of outcome, which then informs the intention to entrust the trainee for a future clinical activity. And different factors have been identified that influence the intention to entrusting decision process. And these include different characteristics of the trainee, of the supervisor, um, of the relationship between the two, and then the specific clinical context that informs that entrustment intention, basically. And what we didn't know when we started the study was how do the trainees at the undergraduate medical education level, that is the students, really perceive that entrustment, that ad hoc entrustment decision process when they enter the clinical context for the first time. And we were really open to what we would find because we didn't know really how that would play out with the new competency framework that we were using at the time. And so you obviously discovered that through talking with the students, but it seems like you fairly quickly got to the point of interviewing healthcare team members as well. And how did you decide who was the right population to include as a participant in this study as your thinking and data collection progressed? Yeah, so that was actually a surprising finding um, during the time when we conducted the interviews, um, because initially we started only interviewing medical students and how they perceived these entrustment decisions. And then in the interviews, we learned that it was not only one specific clinical supervisor that was perceived as responsible or relevant for the ad hoc entrustment decisions, that really different members of the healthcare team that they encountered on the wards where they completed their rotations were also directly involved in these ad hoc entrustment decisions. And these included nurses, psychologists, social workers, and that was really a surprising finding. And from then on, we started thinking about how we would find individuals from different health professions that actively participated in those ad hoc entrustment decisions. And we approached them and asked them whether they would be willing to participate in additional interviews to better understand this phenomenon of ad hoc entrustment decisions within the clinical team. Putting that finding to the side just for a moment, it seems that despite that broad engagement of a variety of different team members, that residents were a particularly important piece of the puzzle. Can you elaborate and explain what led you to call them critical gatekeepers and key facilitators? Yeah, so that was also an interesting finding from the interviews when we asked the students in our interviews who they think is the most critical or important person for them being entrusted to do clinical activities. And that was really a very strong finding that the residents in our context were perceived as critical educational gatekeepers, as we framed it, in terms of integrating the students into the clinical teams and then also letting them participate actively in the clinical work. And what was particularly interesting or or surprising was the tremendous difference between how residents would enact their formal or informal clinical supervision with the students. Some of them, for example, they categorically excluded medical students in the clerkships from actively participating in the clinical work. 
And some would then entrust to the level of interns almost and allow them to carry their own patients with direct supervision. And that range of clinical supervision that the residents gave the students was really impressive. And we learned from the interviews that those were the most important individuals within the clinical teams for them to be involved in the clinical work and to be entrusted with clinical activities. Can I just get you to elaborate on that word importance a little bit? Was it importance primarily in the sense of they were the ones who enabled the trust from other members? Or was it important in the sense that those were people with whom the student was most actively negotiating or a bit of both? So, yeah, I think really the the two aspects are relevant in this context. In a more two-dimensional perspective, the residents were immediately important for deciding what type of clinical activity and with what degree of supervision the clinical students were doing. But then we also learned from the interviews that if the clinical residents themselves were very busy with other tasks or didn't have time for clinical teaching or supervision, then some residents facilitated clinical supervision from either other residents or from other team members, which then took over the responsibility of supervising the medical students and uh, providing them with uh, meaningful entrustment opportunities. So it's really important in the sense of either directly facilitating entrustment decisions or hooking the students up with other team members. So one of the implications that stands out to me in terms of thinking about the supervision as a multifaceted network in the way that you've described it, as opposed to an individual, is most of our faculty development efforts around supervision focus on trying to help a person, typically in medicine, a physician, to learn how to supervise properly. What are you thinking in terms of how this changes your perspective on how we enable good supervision if those responsibilities are so broadly distributed? Yes, so I think from what I learned from this study and how this could be used for future faculty development efforts is that the frame of reference when you design those clinical workplace-based learning experience should maybe not be only the individual that is teaching and the individual teaching abilities or capacities, but really the clinical team that takes on a trainee from, you know, not only maybe the medical profession, but also the nursing profession. I think taking this team perspective on how a team can integrate a new trainee into their clinical work is promising really from what we found in our study and should be integrated maybe in faculty development programs and efforts. Just one final question. Can I also get you to speak to the other side of that? If students are playing an active management role in these interactions, what are your thoughts in terms of how we should be supporting and training them to make sure that they're negotiating for entrustment in ways that are safe and appropriate and actually educationally effective as opposed to just trusting that they'll figure out how to have these interactions? Yeah, so that is also very interesting. If you think about how most courses for preparing medical students for their workplace-based learning experiences function is that they are being presented with the learning goals, typically with the administrative processes, but not so much from what I heard from the students and from what I experienced myself on how to 
navigate the clinical context and how to navigate and regulate their learning when they become part of, of a clinical team. So thinking about entrustment as a multilateral and dynamic decision process maybe helps to also think about how students can be supported in terms of their agency when it comes to identifying entrustment opportunities and identifying clinical supervisors. And I think that is actually something that is not only relevant for undergraduate medical education and the clerkship context, but then once they move on to the residency programs, it's even more important to be able to self-regulate the learning and also to manage actively the clinical supervision network that apparently is present in all the clinical teams that you can use for clinical learning. There's a lot to unpack in this study and a lot of different concepts that have been brought to bear that each have their own unique literature. So as always, we're not going to be able to get through all the details of the paper, but this is one in particular that I would encourage listeners to go read so they can see some of your thoughts and advice on those other aspects and how they all fit together. But I do appreciate you taking the time to share some of your ideas with us today, Severin. Thank you very much, Kevin. It was a pleasure for me too. And I'll just close by reminding those who do want to look up the paper where you'll find it. As I mentioned at the start, it's in the March 2021 issue of medical education under the title Entrustment Decisions and the Clinical Team, a case study of early clinical students. And Severn Pania is one of the names that you'll find associated with that work. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.